in here actually do contribute to that principal amount. It's called the corpus. Um, and yeah, so where I'm going with that, thank you, Larry. Um, some of you contribute to that, and it, it, it does a great job of growing. And uh, some of you have businesses, and this is where I'm going with this, um, because of the number of students we have, and we try to give scholarships to all the students, uh, we are really using up these uh, funds that we have available. And uh, I just would, was going to tell you, if you guys are looking for ins uh, ways to give, some of you have companies that do matching gifts. Um, if you will, check with them. Maybe they do a matching gift and you'll give an amount and the company will match that amount for this. And also maybe consider giving towards the, uh, the, the award account that we have. So uh, just those kind of things starting next week as part of the scholarship process. Um, we ask the students at the end of the year to give us some kind of a testimony of what's happened with them through the year, how God has moved, ministries they've been involved in, things like that. So they can either send a video, write a letter, uh, and we are going to start next week telling people about uh, or reading some of those letters, letting you see the videos so that you know you can connect with these students that are at SNU. I think it's amazing that we do that. I graduated from there. Um, in fact, I just found out that uh, my 25-year college reunion, I wasn't thinking about it at all. I got an email and said, hey, this year is your 25-year college reunion. I went, what? It's been 25 years? Because I was just there yesterday, <clears throat> seems like. But uh, apparently I wasn't. It was 25 years ago. Graduated SNU 1997 and uh, is never looked back from that. But anyway, uh, just something to consider, something, something to think about, and something that our church is involved in that we really, really like and are proud to support. All right, uh, we are really, really at the end of this series of messages that we've been doing on spiritual formation. Um, last week, we talked about disciplines. Today, we're going to finish up disciplines. And next week, I do want to encourage you to come next week. We're going to do what they call a, a, a covenant renewal service. Now, this is a, something that's really, really neat if you know anything about it. John Wesley actually wrote a covenant renewal service years ago, obviously, in the 1700s when he was alive. And uh, it's very, you know, high English kind of thing. So we're not doing, going to do that one. Uh, we're going to do... It's based on John Wesley's uh, Covenant Renewal Service, though, and I'm very, very excited about us going to be able to do that. Uh, I would say please be here next week. It is such a sweet moment. Uh, we're going to look at all of the things about spiritual formation and the disciplines that help us with our spiritual formation, and then we're going to tell God it, it, we're going to renew our covenant with Him. Wherever you're at in your walk, it's always good to say, hey, God, I am renewing myself to you, my covenant to you, and um, it's, it's will be a, some back and forth, a little bit of um, liturgy. It's just, it's an amazing thing. So the last couple of weeks, this will be the third week, we've talked about disciplines. There's three kinds, and I'll have them all up here. Inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and today we're going to deal with corporate disciplines. The inward disciplines are prayer, meditation, fasting, and Bible study. There's more than that, but these are kind of the high points. Um, the outward disciplines, evangelism, acts of service, simplicity, stewardship, and solitude. And um, again, there's more than that. As I go through these, by the way, a lot of these notes are in the uh, notes on our app, the church app. You can get the church app, go to the service notes, or the Bible app. Okay, I'm saying a lot of words. I'm trying to hurry so I can get to the meat. Teresa told me that uh, I've been um, taking my time to get there, so let's, let's hurry up and get. All right. 
Plus, it's football season. I got to get back in the groove of being done by next week so you can go watch the game. I'm just kidding. I will never adjust my schedule based on football, just so you know that. It's all God, whatever he wants to do. All right, so the disciplines that we've been talking about, John Wesley also called them means of grace. And I love that because these are things that we can do to attend to the work of God's grace in our life. Now, these disciplines don't help us... uh, get into his love because he's already pouring that out. His, his grace is his love and favor, right? So he's already pouring his grace out on us. He's already showing us love, a depth of love that we can never understand. But these disciplines, they don't move us into his love. They just help us connect with it, to understand it, to feel it in more of a way than we otherwise would. It's a way for us to connect with God through these means of grace. So today we're going to turn our attention to the corporate disciplines. And uh, so what I want to do is, is I'm going to go through a few, kind of hit the highlights, but then we're going to pause for a few moments at the end on uh, worship and acts of service. Uh, acts of service, that was last week. Um, on worship and, uh, I forgot what it's called now. We'll get there. Christian conference. All right, you hanging with me? A lot of words. Let's talk about confession confession time as a a discipline confession is something that might throw us off a little bit because for us as we understand the way we are with Christ confession is kind of a a more of a personal thing right it's it's more of a private thing but I want to tell you that at the heart of God is the desire to give and to forgive this is at the heart of who God is. And, and it's interesting that God set this entire redemptive process in motion for us. When Adam and Eve sinned and it caused all of us to be born into sin, God said, you know what, there's something that I have to do to bring my people back to me. So he sent this whole redemptive process in order for us to draw close to him. And I know that It was love, and we need to understand this, it was not anger that brought Jesus to the cross. So many of us have this idea that we're going to make a mistake and God's going to zap us with lightning. But it's not the angry God that sent Jesus to the cross for my sins. It is the loving God. And it is love that brought Jesus to us. The redemptive process is, It's like a great mystery hidden in the heart of God. We know how to do it and and we know he's given us instruction. But it's this mystery, you know, and and I've seen the redemptive work of God at work in people's lives. I've experienced his redemption in my own life. I know that it's real. I can't understand it. I don't know why it does what it does, but that redemption is something that has changed my life and has changed my heart. So all of that to say that confession, then, is both a grace and a discipline, if you can follow that. It's it's the grace of God that when we confess to him, the scripture teaches us that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins, right? We confess to him. But it's also considered a discipline because confession is something we must do. 
We can't get away from it. We have to confess. And I don't know where you are in your walk with Christ, but I can tell you that every time something creeps up in our lives, and I've experienced this myself, I, I confess to God, God, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said those words. I shouldn't have had that thought, God, forgive me. I confess that to you. Now help me move past it. And in some kind of incredible, mysterious way, he does that. The Holy Spirit works in my heart, gives me his desires. But confession is not only a private matter, it's also a public matter. Now, the Reformation, you guys all know about the Reformation, right? That's why we're here today as Protestants. The Reformation underscored the fact that we do not need a mediator between us and God. So when we ask forgiveness, we don't have to ask forgiveness through somebody because we have direct access by the blood of Jesus Christ to the throne room of God. And I'm grateful for that. But I think also we should remember the scripture in James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Now we gloss over that often. Confession is hard for us because we see the church as a fellowship of saints before we understand it to be what it is, <laughs> a fellowship of sinners. We want to be right with God before church rather than come to church and connect with God in such a way that we can get right with him. We have to be careful how we perceive the church. Bonhoeffer you guys know Bonhoeffer. He wrote this. Our brother has been given to us to help us. He hears the confession of our sins in Christ's dead, and he forgives our sins in Christ's name. He keeps the secrets of our confession as God keeps it. When I go to my brother to confess, I am going to God. 1 Peter 2.9 reminds us that we are a chosen people. It calls us a royal priesthood. This is why... I believe, and I don't want to linger too long here, but I, I love this idea of confession. This is something that in a small group or Sunday school class would be terrific to explore, this act of public confession. Because when I confess to Christ in my own prayer closet, I believe my sins are forgiven. But sometimes it feels like something is not wrapped up. I don't know if that makes sense. But if I confess to a brother or sister, my mentor or somebody who's discipling me, and I confess to them and they tell me that God has forgiven me, if I hear something audible, it does something different, if that makes sense. Man, I have to tell you something that I've learned this week. It's really got me thinking, and it, it's a lot about, it's a book I was re I'm reading called, um, and the staff's probably tired of hearing about it already, it, it's called uh, Character, Culture, and Leadership, or Church's Culture and Leadership, and it's explaining the different ways that different cultures understand ways of being, and so in the United States, the way we understand being is, is different than the way somebody in Latin America understands being or somebody in uh, the Middle East understands being. And part of that has to do with language 
I'm going to try not to get too scientific, but this is so interesting. So when we learn language, it forms certain pathways in our brain that affects the way we perceive the world. Language, and, and it's your first language, whatever your first language is, affects the way that you perceive the world. So they've found that through these studies that somebody who grows up and Spanish is their first language just thinks different. They understand things different. Their pathways in their brain were formed differently than somebody whose first language is English. And then that can also be traced back to countries of origin and things like that. And so one of the things that English-speaking people, something about the English language makes us all individual. Isn't it interesting? But And you guys will recognize this in other cultures. It's not necessarily individual. It's There's this idea of um, of corporate, of being together, of uh, the uh, group. Families are, are different than our families. Even our families, we have family units that are separate and individual. And the, this book is proposing that if you go back to the way God created us, he created us to be in group. He created us to be in relation to other people. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that confession is not only something that is to be done with Christ, but it also can be done in group. It can be done to other people. And there's something healthy about it. And it's not like, and, and I'm saying this to, you know, a, a majority English-speaking group we have to understand that our brains were wired to be individual and then try to, we talked several weeks ago about the shadow side of our personality, the side that we don't deal with very much. So we need to understand that about our culture also. Because a lot of times we don't do community very well. But one of the things I love about our church is I believe that because also of our ethnic diversity, people from all different places that we're trying to create this space where we are a community of believers, right? And that's who we are first, is kingdom of God, community of believers. Before we're American or Brazilian or Guatemalan or, or Mexican, this is who we are first. Those other things are beautiful, and I, and, and I love that we have different ethnicities and different groups, but also I love the community of a believer. So one of the things that we need to do is learn to confess to each other and learn that when somebody does confess, it is not a sign of weakness. And when somebody does confess, it is not to be talked about. It is not to be gossiped about. It is us hearing a confession and then telling them Jesus forgives you. Even in the scripture, it goes into whoever you forgive, Jesus tells the disciples. Whoever you forgive is forgiven, and whoever you don't is not. Anyway, like I said, that's, that's a deep one. That's not even what today's about. It's just one of the, we're trying to skim across the top. All right, the next two I'll do quickly. Discipline of celebration. Je Jesus, this is really interesting. If you read Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming a year of jubilee, which is, like that was, that's an interesting thing. Go and research Jubilee in the uh, Jewish culture. Uh, 
the carefree spirit of joyous festivity is absent a lot in contemporary society. We just aren't doing that. How, how do we practice celebration as a discipline? I mean, it's, it's not that hard. Richard Foster says that one way is through singing and dancing and shouting. A friend of mine was, uh, he, he grew up in the Church of the Nazarene in the Ozarks. And he told me that when he was growing up, he can remember that they would have these services that would get wild, like everybody's just celebrating in God. And he said that, uh, of course, they were all barefoot. He's telling me his stories about being in the Ozarks. And they would run across the, the pews, the backs of the pews, barefoot, <laughs> as they celebrated and worshiped and, and, and praised God. We're much too refined society today for that. <laughs> I'm not suggesting anybody tries to run across the chairs. They would probably fall. But I'm saying that there is a place for celebration. Because of God's goodness, our hearts should burst forth with celebration. And think about how kids celebrate. How do kids celebrate? With lots of noise. So we should not try to be so refined that we withhold that celebration. The next one is guidance. This is an interesting one. Guidance as a discipline. As an outward discipline, we struggle with this one. We spend a lot of time being taught how to live in the individual guidance of the Spirit, which is not a bad thing. The Holy Spirit guides us, but He also guides us. Remember, Paul teaches we are one body. We're one body, united in Christ. And as God guides our group, our community, this is another thing about living in community. As God guides our community, he also guides the individual through that. This is one of the reasons that prayer is so important. And we want to make prayer one of the most important things that we do at our church. And we have another, every month we're, we're doing a Thursday night prayer. And we'll be announcing that again. Come join us as we seek God's guidance for us. But today I want to spend the rest of our time focusing on the discipline of worship and Christian conference. I'm kind of using both interchangeably. If you look up disciplines, I'm putting them together. Uh, the discipline of worship is a separate thing. Christian conference is what Wesley, John Wesley called worship, but he, he kind of incorporated it to be broader. The Bible says that before we knew Christ, we were alienated from God, but not just from God, we were also alienated from each other before we knew Christ. But since we have believed in Christ, we have been made one together. Scripture says that when we come to believe in Jesus, God positions us into his body in community with each other. Again, one body, many parts. We can't function separately and individualistically. It's, we can't. We need each other. We have to support each other. And you know the thing, here's, here's something that I think is interesting about being in, in community together. I feel like people, when we get upset with each other or we don't like something about the way each other, then, then we're really quick to say, well, I'm done. Like, I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. But, and maybe this has just come out of 
my background and the way I grew up and, and maybe because my parents divorced when I was young, I, I don't, I'm not easy to break relationship. I want to keep relationship. So if we have a disagreement, then that's fine. Let's have a disagreement. Let's talk about it and let's work through it. That's what part of being a community is. We're not going to just get mad at each other and, and run off on each other. The, the idea of Christian conference is best, best explained this way, that people develop as Christians best in an atmosphere of being together. If we want to develop as Christians, that's going to happen best in an atmosphere of us being together. And that value goes against really much of what our culture offers. Busyness, for instance. Let's talk about busyness. I feel like everybody tries to impress each other with how busy they are. <laughs> Do you ever get that feeling? I'm so busy. I had something on Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday, and then they tell you all of the things they did. I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I'm busy too. Like, are we going to have a, like a, a fight here to see who's the busiest? <laughs> because I'm going to win. <laughs> but in all seriousness, what, like we do that to each other. And I even try not to say, people will say, well, I need to, like I want to talk with you or can we have a, a time or can you, do you have time to do this? Or and I've tried to quit saying, oh, I'm so busy. Let me, I want to work it out because we're all busy. You're busy, I'm busy, we're all busy. But because of our busyness, we, we, we retreat into our own little area, our own little shell, and we're just in, in our busy little selves, and we don't take time for community, and we don't take time for each other, and we don't take, listen, small groups, Sunday school, home groups, those are a great thing. Spend some time in those. Build community and develop that together. But I'm not just making all this up. Let's read out of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. Isn't it interesting that they capitalize the day? You know, that this, like the day Jesus is coming on that day. So here, here it is. We've got about 10 minutes, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get us through this. We're called three times. He calls us three times. He says, let us, let us. We're called three times to do something in response to God's provision in Jesus. So today I want to focus on the last one, which takes us from the provision of relationship with God to his provision of relationship with others. So the first is this. The objective of community is spiritual formation in others. The objective of community, the objective, the reason we gather together, our objective is spiritual formation in others. Now, it's not like I can make you spiritually formed, but as we're together, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works. How do we stir each other up? How do we prompt each other? This comes down to really one word here, consider. 
If you're a believer, if you believe in Jesus, if you're a follower, you need to carefully think about one another. You know, we've had a lot of things happen in our church recently to different people, individuals. People have lost loved ones. People are ill. People are having surgeries. This is one thing we can do to consider them, to think about them, to pray for them, to lift them up. Getting involved in the spiritual progress of other believers is for all of us. We should be mentoring or discipling somebody and we should, I don't know how to say it, we should be being discipled. <laughs> we should be allowing somebody to disciple us, mentor us. Who have you allowed into your life? Who have you given permission to? Who have you asked to disciple you? But then you should also be discipling somebody else. Who are you discipling? We build this community. Stir one another up. No matter what our American culture tells us, and this goes way back to the founding of, of the United States and the right to privacy and all of those things, no matter what our country tells us, being a Christian is not an individual effort. It's not something you do on your own. Christians, we shouldn't conform to American culture. We're a counterculture. We do live in the United States, and, and we love our country, and, and, and we, we like to be here. We like the freedom that comes with worshiping here. Like We like that. But as Christians... As Christians, we're counter-cultural. We need to consider how to provoke other Christians to action. Not like my kids provoke one another or their parents. It's a different kind of provoke. To nudge, to push, to provoke. And not just for the fun of it, but with an objective in mind towards love and good works. That's how we provoke each other, push each other towards love and good works. You hear somebody having a, a bad day or talking bad about somebody else or really struggling. They're angry. Provoke them towards love. <laughs> hey, it's going to be fine. Like, come on, let's, let's show love. Let's show grace. So not only that we're involved in love and good works, but that we are able to stir up others towards the same thing. How can we challenge other people to do some good? How can we challenge other people to do some good? And we've got so many opportunities for ministry here with Rescue Hill and with um, the Women to Women and with uh, Safe Families, the Coats for Cactus, the drive that we're getting ready to do, Alabaster Offering, your Faith Promise commitment for missions. Like there's so many things that we can do. All right, then the next thing. The commitment to community is engaging others. So we had the objective. Now we have the commitment is engaging others. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. This was written to first century Christians. We're not exactly sure why. Maybe there were circumstances going on. We don't know exactly what was happening here, but here's what we do know. There's a warning for us not to quit engaging together. People will tell me, I don't know why I need to go to church. I can get church at home. I can watch it on TV. And now after COVID, I just sit home and watch it in my pajamas. But there's something here about gathering together. It teaches us gather together and, and don't neglect meeting together. 
But this also isn't the basis for the unwritten rule that a lot of us know that if you go to church, you're a good Christian because that's not always true. Listen, the location of your body on Sunday morning doesn't determine your level of spirituality. If you're here, that doesn't make you a Christian. And if you're not here, it doesn't make you not a Christian. That's not what this is about. This is just about don't neglect it. Let's meet together. Engage each other. Get rid of spiritual masks. Be vulnerable. Call somebody and say, I am struggling. Will you pray for me? I'm struggling. I'm having a hard day. My kids are doing this. My spouse is doing this. This happened at work. I don't know. Engage each other. Here's the last one. Verse 25. The need in community is encouraging others. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, the definition of encourage is pretty simple. Pouring courage into somebody who needs it. (laughs) Pouring courage into somebody who needs it. Encourage somebody. Encourage them. Did you know that the Greek word used here for encourage is the same Greek root word used for uh, one of the ways that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit when he says the paraclete is coming? Jesus called him the comforter. It's the same Greek root word. It's the word, it's the root for encourager. Be an encourager. It's what the Holy Spirit is for us. He is our encourager. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside and help. That is the role that God has given us as Christian brothers and sisters. We can help bolster somebody in their faith. Encouragement reflects the love and good works that we talked about just a minute ago. Encouragers come alongside and remind us that God has something good for you. God's got a plan for you. God is with you. Be vigilant. I hope you're beginning to see how this is a means of grace. This is what is Christian conference. It is worship together. This is something we're doing this morning. What I don't want is for us to become involved in our own little area of this room. Talk to people. Encourage each other. Build relationship with each other. Go have dinner with each other. Pick somebody that you've not had lunch with before and after the service, go have lunch with them. Let's build this camaraderie. And while we're doing that, this is the amazing thing. We've, we've talked a little bit about means of grace. This is how we connect with the grace of God, right? It is a means of connecting with his grace. And then not only that, but as we encourage other people, as we're involved in community, as we're helping each other, we are a conduit of his grace to them. This is crazy. We, we get it and then we give it. It's the model that he has set up. We're not here to just receive. We're here to receive and then to give. Man, I cannot overstate the importance of community life for Christians. Community life for us is so important and we need it and we need to help each other and we need to encourage each other.
We've been conditioned to think that individualism is the way to go, but that's not what we learn from Jesus or from the Scriptures. From Him, we learn the importance of being together. You know, uh, the Methodist Church, founded by John Wesley, started with something, just as Methodists, not even before they were a church, they started with uh, societies, what he calls societies and bands and classes. He believes so much in, in helping to accomplish community. And these were ways that he designed. And at our church, we have similar things. We have, you know, we're meeting together here today. We have Sunday school classes. You can come Sunday morning. We have um, thing, times that we meet periodically for a Bible study on a Wednesday at noon or a um, prayer time together. We have home groups that meet. Like we, we're trying to create this area at our church. We don't just go to church on Sunday mornings. We want to be involved in the community. That's going to create a strong church so that as we grow, that growth is sustained because we're connected. People that don't connect will struggle spiritually or to stay. So we want to be connected. This is a way for us to hold each other accountable, to be involved in each other's lives, to speak a word of confession. to let somebody know that God does forgive you. You are forgiven. In the name of Jesus, by his blood shed on the cross, you're forgiven. Isn't it awesome? God has designed this whole thing, man. And it's our job to live into it, to lean into it. Are we doing that?